This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property or at least as much as we can squeeze into this short format. We'll start with a little bit of local news about uh, new homes being built in the Tararua. We'll move on a little bit to what's happening with changes to the OCR and how that might affect housing. There's also been those changes to the Resource Management Act which we'll have a quick chat about and also five reasons why it's actually a good time to buy a house at the moment. Uh, then going on to uh, the retirement of Andrew King from the, the head of the New Zealand Property Investors Federation. So all of that today and a little bit more. In this first article from Stuff by Connor Nell, it says Tararua gets its share of the government's planned 16,000 new homes. So the Tararua district is eagerly awaiting its share of the new affordable housing planned for regions and cities across the nation. 30 new homes we built in Paiatua on the site of the former Hillcrest Primary School, which shut down in 2019 to a declining role. The land is a rangatane or tamaki nui arua, owned property development, and will consist of a mixture of rental houses, affordable housing sale, and papakainga housing. Tarua District Mayor Tracy Collis said the central government investment in social housing around the district was a long time coming. We have communicated the need for social housing with the government and we're working with Kainga Aura to make a presence in all of our towns. And all the mayors from Wairarapa to Central Hawke's Bay have collectively said there was a dire need for social housing. There were so few, people weren't putting themselves on the list because they knew they wouldn't get anywhere, so we want to change that. So Collis praised the government funding of infrastructure related to the new builds and issue rural councils like Tarua had struggled to tackle on their own. Council wouldn't have been able to afford the infrastructure for these homes and there's some significant infrastructure required to get them in place. I mean, for example, the conversion of the Hillcrest Primary School, what a great example. She said, we've already made a start with development in Woodville, but all of our towns, of all of the towns, Paiatua had the most resource consents and building consents. are interested to see what more we can do there. It's obviously a short drive to uh, Masterton and Palmerston North. So this project is part of the third round of funding from the government's Infrastructure Acceleration Fund, which will invest almost $540 million on groundwork like pipes, roads and flood protection to enable thousands of homes to be built. That's good news, and we'll keep an eye on that. And uh, all of the government projects are intended to enable about thirty to 35,000 new homes for New Zealanders over the next 10 to 15 years. It says enable. It's not necessarily building them, but it's making it easier for uh, development and easier for councils. This article from Tom Puller-Strecker on Stuff Business. Borrowers warned to brace for more bad news from the Reserve Bank. ANZ economist Finn Robinson expects the official cash rate to hit 5%. So it says that borrowers should brace for another cost of living blow on Wednesday, that's tomorrow at the time of recording this, when the Reserve Bank issues its final monetary policy statement of the year, if economists' forecasts are on the mark. 
Most analysts expect recent inflation data will persuade the Reserve Bank to rise the, raise the official cash rate by 75 basis points to 4.25% after f- previous five 50 basis point raises and a single 25 basis point rise earlier this year. Some are, but some argue a 50 basis point rate rise to 4% should and may still be in play amid a growing fear of recession and indications that inflation has passed its peak, both in New Zealand and overseas. The Reserve Bank will also publish its first new forecast since August on where it sees the official cash rate, inflation and unemployment heading over the next three years. So watch this space for a bit of news. The economists have said that this 75 basis point change is the most likely. Will that be passed on to uh, mortgage rates? Often it is. And uh, so therefore... um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. It doesn't specifically say that in that article, but that's usually what follows on. Next article by Anna White from stuff.co.nz says, Overhaul of broken resource rules set to tame planning departments and speed up builds. Deputy Prime Minister Grant Robinson announced the details of the overhaul of what he calls the Broken Resource Management Act. The government's long-awaited overhaul of the Broken Resource Management Act, the law that governs all of New Zealand's built environments, is intended to speed up consents, get more houses built and better protect the environment. Environment Minister David Parker said the new laws will cut red tape, lower costs and speed up time to look for new homes and infrastructure projects to be approved. It needs to be faster, cheaper and better, Parker said. We will be helping local government tame their planning departments. And Parker said that reform was overdue. Everyone is frustrated, environmentalists, developers, councils, farmers, home builders, and there was cross-party support for the need to replace and repeal the RMA. The new plans will lead to a 19% reduction in costs a year, the government claims, adding up to about $10 billion over 30 years. The government also took aim at rules that allowed for nimbyism, for preventing development and contributing to rapid increase of land prices. NIMBYism, of course, NIMBY stands for Not In My Backyard, the ability for people to stop things from happening. Um, So they're looking at uh, taking aim at those. So the changes include a major shift of land use and resource rules, stripping more than 100 plans down to 15 regional-level plans created by committees of local and central government and Māori. The government did not go so far as to implement co-governance regional committees that develop the regional plans with no restriction on the size except to have at least six representatives, including at least two Māori members. The government anticipates consent process will be significantly sped up. Meanwhile, new plans set clear expectations for housing supply that exceeds the anticipated demand, that restrictions do not lead to inflated land prices and that the plan contributes to the availability of more housing and affordable housing choices. There will be fewer consents to process. The bulk of decision-making will be made at early planning stages with the hope of fewer delays at the consent stage. Also, central government will have more power with an aim to allow for more building or activities to reduce cost and delays at the consenting stage. The new rules give local authorities the ability to enforce stronger conditions, compliance and enforcement powers. Māori will have decision-making roles at national, regional and local levels, including a new national entity to monitor tiriti or waitangi performance and provide input into the national planning framework. 
So it's going to be uh, some changes there. And, of course, there's a little bit of, uh, I guess, comments from the different parties. A Green MP, Eugenie Sage, said the party, who's the party's environment spokesperson, said the government seems to have bought into the outdated idea there is a trade-off between quality infrastructure and good environmental outcomes. Everybody agrees that the current resource management system, designed and tinkered with by successive governments, has failed, she says. What the government has come up with as a solution with as a solution also falls short of what is required. So National Party's leader Christopher Luxon said, On first blush, we're really deeply concerned about the layers of bureaucracy, certainly the uncertainty and complexity that's being created and the speed of implementation. However, he did say, I'm sure there'll be some good things that we'll want to look at as well, and we'll be supportive of that on balance. When asked what National's plan was, Luxon said the party if elected would remove layers of bureaucracy. In his view, we've got huge amounts of complexity and uncertainty sitting there in terms of legal uncertainty, and I think that will need a lot of testing in the courts. Importantly, we have to get a much faster streamlined response. An ex, David Seymour, said the underlying principles that plagued the RMA had not changed. What they should have done is said, you can do on your property what what you want, so long as you don't harm the enjoyment of others' property or commonly held environmental resources. So it's interesting to see um, where that will go. So this article caught me a little bit by surprise when I saw this recently. It says, five reasons why now is a good time to buy a house. Now, for people working in property, they'll always tell you that now is a good time to buy, (laughs) as long as you're looking at holding a property for a reasonable term. But let's have a look at this article by Miriam Bell, on stuff homed. Falling house prices and rising interest rates are making home buyers wary, but experts say that if you can afford it, now is a good time to buy. Prices have been declining for months now, with the Real Estate Institute's latest figures showing the national median was $825,000 in October, down 7.5% from the same time last year. The Institute's House Price Index, which measures the changing value of residential property nationwide, is now down 12.4% from its peak in November of last year. So most commentators say prices have not bottomed out yet, and there is more easing to come. Westpac, for example, expects prices to fall a further 10% from where they are now by the end of 2024, which would mean a 20% decline from their peak last year. That makes for cheaper options for home buyers, but interest rates have risen significantly at many banks since Stats NZ revealed the rate of inflation barely eased in the September quarter, and this has led to another pullback of buyers from the market. Nervous buyers might be making the wrong call, though. So here's the first reason why it's a good time to buy a house. Lower prices mean more affordable options. Prices were high before the pandemic and over the 2021 boom, it is estimated they climbed about 43%. That led housing affordability to deteriorate to the worst level on record. Economist Tony Alexander says that even though prices currently remain about 26% above where they were pre-pandemic, incomes have gone up. This, combined with price falls, mean affordability is actually approved. Uh, improved, I should say. The overvaluing of property which occurred is disappearing and leaving buyers with cheaper options. For first home buyers, the benefit of price falls outweighs higher mortgage rates, CoreLogic Chief Property Economist Kelvin Davidson says. That is because a smaller deposit is required to purchase a house. The first home buyer may be able to save $60,000 on the purchase price, for example. Yes, they'll have to pay a higher mortgage rate, but it will be a smaller mortgage, and saving that money to start with is worth a lot rustling through my pages here. 
Uh, lower prices also mean that there's a wider range of properties in reach for them. A standalone house might be an option now rather than a townhouse, or, or they may be able to get a property with more bedrooms. The situation is different for existing homeowners who may have to sell their house for less than was possible last year, but mortgage advisor Bruce Patton from Loan Market says if they're buying in the same market, it doesn't make much difference. Someone might get a lower sale price for their house, but the house they're looking to buy will also be going for less, so it's all relative. You could wait to sell until prices go back up, but whatever you want to buy will go up again too. Here's the second reason why it's a good time to buy a house. Prices won't keep falling forever. One fear of buyers is that prices will fall much further, leaving them in negative equity or leading them to miss out on even cheaper prices. But Davidson says that while negative equity is a risk and being in it does not feel nice, in practical terms it's not a big problem if the homeowner can afford their repayments and doesn't plan to sell. It is true that if you buy now you might miss out on a cheaper price because prices might fall by another 5%, but it's hard to pick the bottom of the market so you could end up waiting too long. And while the market is quiet now, you might find a property you can pick up for 15% less than it was last year and below the broader market's 10% declines. That's a bargain already. Harcourt's Hobson Partners General Manager Lauren Murabito says the market moves up and down in cycles and anyone who is buying for the long term rather than to speculate will be fine. There may be dips in the market trajectory, but if you chart prices over 15 to 20 year period, you'll see they always go up. They may be falling now, but eventually they'll start to rise again. And stories of people who have owned a home for a longhouse losing money are very rare indeed. So the first two reasons were lower prices and more affordable options. The second one was prices won't keep falling forever. And here's the third reason it's good to buy at the moment. There are more houses on the market. At the height of the boom, buyer demand far exceeded what was available. The limited amount of stock resulted in FOMO, the fear of missing out, taking over the market and buyers' decision-making. That situation has changed because the number of houses available for sale nationally has climbed by nearly 75% since this time last year, the latest realestate.co.nz figures show. So rather than a seller's market, it's now a buyer's market. And realestate.co.nz spokeswoman Vanessa Williams says there's now a plethora of housing choices available. And it's, that is beneficial for buyers as it reduces pressure on them to buy whatever they can get, she says. The slower, less frenzied market means you can take the time to really assess the options and you can do your due diligence properly and you can make more considered decisions. The fourth reason now why it's a good time to buy a house, interest rates are never static. While rising interest rates appear to be the big deterrent for buyers, Alexander says there is good chance fixed rates are near peaking with a recent fall in US inflation providing some hope. If rates from 2019 when there were the fears of deflation, and from 20 and 21, when rates were at pandemic-driven record lows, are stripped out, current rates are actually close to the average rate for the 10 years ending 2018, he says. Current rates are higher than they were in 2018, and the average for the next five years might end up being a bit higher, but they're not as painful as they've been in the past. Mortgage advisor Campbell Hasty from Hasty Mortgages says rising rates have been a big psychological impact on borrowers, but over a 20-year mortgage term, rates will always fluctuate. They're never static, so you have to take a long-term view and don't let the crisis reporting get to you. While they're harder now, they will be easier at some point. It's important to always get good advice on your financial position before making decisions. So the fifth reason why it's now a good time to buy a house Trying to time the market really works. 
market sentiment can change quickly. So while the market is quiet now, there may be little warning before it starts to heat up again. Patton says there is no timing the market and buyers should not try. Instead, if they're in a position to buy, can find the right house for them and can afford it, they should go for it. As long as they're not going to on-sell the house until the market rebalances and prices start going up again, they're not likely to run into any problems. William says if someone is buying a home, they should not be buying based on what the market is doing. They should be buying based on their financial position, and that's really important. You should consider the market, but it shouldn't be the deciding factor. You should base any decision you buy on your family situation, and if it makes financial sense for you, then you should do it. So that's some good advice there as well. And you do find that a lot of people are saying, oh, we're just waiting to see if the market drops and that sort of thing. But uh, the current situation with supply and demand is largely an engineered artificial one by a number of restrictions put in place by the government that has removed a number of buyers from the market. So if the government changes any of those restrictions, like makes it easier to lend and those sorts of things, then suddenly the market will race up again. So it only takes some uh, slight changes and things can change. So the advice there in that fifth Suggestion is to look at your own situation. If you can afford it and you can buy it, then it's probably a good idea to do so. And uh, the caveat there being as long as you're not selling in the short term. Next article here, this one from stuff.co.nz business. King of property hangs up his hat. So Andrew King has been advocating on behalf of property investors for quarter of a century. But the long-standing president of the New Zealand Property Investors Federation has finally hung up his hat. In a letter to members at the start of the month, he recounted some achievements. These are in his words. We stopped capital gains taxes from being introduced not once, not twice, but three times, he wrote. We have continued to halt a rental property warrant of fitness and draconian rental freezes. Other highlights included supporting compulsory smoke alarms and insulation and most of the healthy homes requirements while preventing ridiculously expensive suggestions. Regarded to be amongst the best lobbyists in the country, King was personable, reasonable in his advocacy and always had a factoid up his sleeve to throw against unfriendly policy. Rent stalled, costs are increasing in a brain drain, so have uh, sort of happened as well during his watch. So King is literally riding off into the sunset, spending the better part of the next three years on a motorcycle trip with his wife around North, Central and South America. He said his decision to retire was not taken easily and the timing made it more difficult because he regarded the next election as the greatest reckoning for investors since capital gains taxes were proposed. This was because of the government's policy to strip investors of their ability to deduct mortgage interest from rental incomes for tax purposes. National have promised to reverse the change, but if Labour remained in power, King said, a Federation survey showed the policy could result in a fifth of investors being forced to sell up. King said his failure to convince government not to implement the policy was his greatest regret. He says, it does feel a bit like unfulfilled business, but also I think maybe we need someone new. I think I've done my time. The same survey found 8 out of 10 members intended to increase rents to make up for the added tax. What does he say about that? He says, that's good. If they can do that, that's fantastic, because it means that, one, they can keep their rental property and they don't sell at a loss. It means when they retire, they aren't going to be as big a burden on the state, and it means there's more rental property for tenants to choose from, he said. Unfortunately, it does mean higher rental prices for tenants, but at least they've got supply there and it's better than homelessness. He said the biggest changes he'd seen in his career was a shift in sentiment to landlords regarding their tenants as customers who they provided a professional service for. As 
Homeownership shrunk to its lowest level since the 1950s. Research shows the number of properties in the hands of investors grew 191% between 1986 and 2018, which was achieved by investors buying existing housing stock rather than through new builds. But King said, in order to increase the supply of houses, you don't actually have to build a house. From his perspective, investors buying cheaper existing homes of the type often bought by first-home buyers allowed cashed-up baby boomers to build their own larger homes. King said his proudest moment was helping encourage the Winter Energy Payment Scheme. He says there were about 43,000 kids who ended up in hospital because they were living in cold, damp houses and we were blamed, basically, he said. We did a survey and found out that even when our members were installing heat pumps, the tenants weren't turning them on, and we raised that with the Otago Medical School. And that supported findings that energy poverty was occurring. In essence, tenants without much money preferred not to spend what they had on heating. So I came up with the idea, and I'm really proud of it, actually, that the money wouldn't go directly to the tenant because I've got a lot of pressure to spend it somewhere else. The idea the money would go directly to the energy provider. Phil Twyford was the spokesman on housing at the time, and I mentioned it to him that I thought it was a good idea, so he expanded it. Uh, Final comments. King believed that house price falls will continue for at least another year. He said buyers and sellers would know things were turning when sales volumes went up and days to sell reduced. When that happened, prices were likely to start to rise again six months later. So finally an article here about a $13 billion turtle-shaped floating city concept has been unveiled. I'll just read that one again. $13 billion turtle-shaped floating city concept unveiled. Hosting 60,000 guests, the city would comprise hotels, shopping centres and parks. At $13 billion, the turtle-shaped floating city concept has been unveiled and it's called the Pangeos the Terra Yacht would become the largest floating structure ever built. Italian design studio Lazzarini said the vessel is 550 metres long and 610 metres at its widest point. There's photos here on Stuff Travel if you wanted to have a look. Hosting the 60,000... Uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Lazzarini, hope the ambitious concept will be built following a NFT-related crowdfunding period. Construction would take eight years. They say... A terror yacht needs a terror shipyard, and the conception of a similar-sized vessel involves realisation of a specific shipyard-slash-dam infrastructure that floods to levitate the terror yacht when it will be launched. The imagined terror shipyard infrastructure would be 650 metres wide and 600 metres long, providing direct access to the sea. With 30 metres of draft, Pangeos's gigantic hole is composed of nine different bowels and subdivided into several blocks, which is why you'd need to see a photo. It is powered by nine high-temperature superconductor engines, each fully electric motor capable of 16,800 horsepower. When sailing, there are these large wings that look like the turtle's flippers, and they gain energy from the breaking of the waves, and it will cruise perpetually without emissions around the planet Earth's seas, so it generates its own power. Further, the rooftop area is lined with solar power, which provide part of the necessary clean energy to power the terror yacht. So Lazzarini are launching a crowdfunding initiative to sell virtual spaces of the watercraft. Accommodation ranges from apartment and houses to super villas and royal palaces. They explain, the virtual spaces of the watercraft can also be purchased under an NFT collection and users will be able to collect certain content and access in the virtual properties with their credentials. It's a little bit over my head, that one. The, the credentials will work as a property deposit in the case of a real construction. 
So when it goes ahead, they're asking people to gamble on it going ahead, I see. So if it's realised the turtle-shaped vessel will become the world's largest floating structure ever built, would you live on a city, in a city that is constantly floating? And uh, begs the question of uh, you'd have to have some very good backup plans <laughs> if something went wrong and you were out at sea. Finally, a recent uh, tenancy tribunal ruling says Lou Blues for landlord after tribunal rules on who has to empty the tenant's toilet. A dispute over responsibility for emptying the tank of a chemical toilet has been ruled on in tenancy tribunal which found it is the landlord's duty. Cabin accommodation on a working Persimmon farm was advertised as having a composting toilet but it instead had a chemical eco-toilet with a 10 litre tank. The tribunal heard that for the first five weeks of living there, the tenant would empty the toilet herself, but due to medical reasons, was unable to keep doing so as the task fell to the and the task fell to the landlord. According to the decision document, the landlord complained that the toilet was used excessively, and the tenant demanded it be emptied at unreasonable hours of the night. He said there was an incident when the tenant flushed the toilet while the landlord was removing the tank, which resulted him in him being covered with a blue chemical. However, adjudicator Jun Yi determined that disposal of sewage is a landlord's responsibility. Uh, bear that in mind for rural properties as well. So the landlord was ordered to pay $250 to compensate the tenant for having to empty a toilet tank for five weeks. So I see the funny side of this. It means every time uh, the tenant wants that toilet emptied, they can get hold of the landlord to come and do it. It's only a 10-litre uh, capacity. So isn't that incredible? Um, and uh, yeah, so that's just something which is a ruling. So not that many people would have a chemical toilet in their uh, rental property because uh, not many would uh, are in this sort of type of accommodation. Um, it's just incredible. that, uh, But it is just something that's snuck through uh, based on the, um, the basis that the landlord must um, empty uh, these sort of situations. So that's just a crazy situation. Um, I'm not saying crazy good or crazy bad, just crazy, and it leads the mind to wonder, uh, wonder about um, that poor landlord having to continually empty 10 litres of waste. What a lovely thought. I might leave you with that thought. You've been listening to Property Matters here on MPR, Manawatu People's Radio. Te reo, irarangi o nga tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson. You can find the Property, Man- uh, Property Matters podcast by searching Property Matters and Greg Watson and also looking where all good podcasts are found. The easiest is here on MPR. Just go to mpr.nz, find the programme Property Matters. Thanks for listening and we'll catch up with you again next week. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.